0: Hello everyone and welcome to Refinery Life Australia. I'm Gary Hoban and I'm the Senior Pastor and Lead Elder of Refinery Life Church on the Gold Coast. If you're on the Gold Coast, come and join us as we meet together and we share in the Word of our Lord. We meet at 9.30 on Sundays at 222 Turpin Road, Labrador. And more details are available on our website, which is www.refinerylife.org. Today we're going to continue our series listening to Heaven's Infallible Teacher. And these messages are coming from the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to talk about the sin of criticism. Let's pray before we go any further. Every week we pray over our offering. Let's do that now. God of mercy, how we adore you. When our hearts reflect on your greatness and our smallness, we are amazed that you even notice us. But you do. We praise you for this, Lord. As this offering is extended from our hearts to yours, may it be an expression of our love for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, Lord. Amen. Now, the text we're going to concentrate on today is Matthew 7, 1. It talks about judging others. It says, do not judge and criticize and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority, as though assuming the office of a judge, so that you will not be judged unfairly. Now this is not a prohibition of of judgment, nor is it a command to stop using godly wisdom, common sense, and moral courage, together with God's written word, to discern right from wrong, to distinguish between morality and immorality, and to judge doctrinal truth. There are many judgments that are not only legitimate, But they are commanded. However, you cannot judge another if you are committing the same sin. Now the scriptures we're going to work through, Matthew 7, 1 through to 5. Let's read them. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority as though assuming the office of a judge, so that you will not be judged unfairly. For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, so will you be judged. And in accordance with your standard of measure, used to pass out judgment, judgment will be measured to you. Do not look at the insignificant speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice and acknowledge the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, you play actor, you pretender. First get the log out of your own eye and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. How do you fit into that? Christ's statement, do not judge and criticize and condemn so that you will not be judged, points its accusing finger directly at each of us and implies that we have been found guilty. This is one of the most disturbing passages in all of Jesus' teachings. Jesus centers his attention on the prevalent sin of criticism, the sin of nitpicking, fault-finding, cutting other people down to size. We can find this behavior everywhere in our lives, at home, at work, in our churches. We look around for people to measure. Then we stretch those who are too short and we cut those off who are too long. We try to make people fit us exactly. Jesus, being aware of human nature, realized the propensity of individuals to measure everyone else to themselves. He'd observe people trying to force others to fit exactly into their concepts. And Jesus gives us clear and stern instructions Judge not that you will not be judged. This is not a subtle suggestion or a gentle nudge. Judge not is an imperative. Now there's a prohibition here. In verse 1, a present imperative is used with a negative where Jesus said, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticise their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. What was Jesus prohibiting? Jesus was not prohibiting the due process of law. This ju- this statement of Christ has often been misinterpreted and misapplied. The Sermon on the Mount is a divine blueprint for social order, but our Lord never meant for his words to be a replacement for the law. The due process of law and the grace of God are not opposite. They simply operate in different realms. The spirit of the entire teachings of Christ would never advocate anarchy. Jesus knows human nature well enough to know that government and the judicial system are necessary. And Jesus was not prohibiting the practice of moral judgment. Jesus himself passed moral judgment on others. For instance, he called the Pharisees a generation of vipers and whitewashed tombs. He announced that if they did not repent, they would surely perish. We can be doing the same. Because of our hesitancy to make moral decisions... We tend to drift into indiscriminate moral neutrality. Look at gay marriage as a great example of that. Consequently, we quote this passage, Judge not, that you may not be judged. And in doing so, abdicate our responsibility to make moral judgments. Recently, we had someone in our church say we shouldn't be judging people. But we should be more judging them. We should be judging them morally. Actually, the correct position is that we should judge morally and thus be prepared to be judged morally ourselves. But what was Jesus prohibiting? He was attacking the sin of criticism. He was addressing the hypocritical and the hypercritical, fault-finding attitude that encourages us to stretch people out or chop them off so that they will conform to our measure. Here Jesus places himself in a diametrical opposition to those who would inflict slow death on others by relentless criticism. Employers sometimes do this to employees. Parents do it to their own children. Teachers by this means destroy pupils. And some ministers wear down their church members. And many church members slowly destroy their pastors in the same way. We have people in within our small church community that complain every week about the message Perhaps they should look at themselves before they look at what the message is saying. Judge not that you may not be judged. But there's a promise as well, isn't there? In verse 2, Jesus said, For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, so you will be judged. And in accordance with your measure, judgment will be measured out to you. This promise reflects the law of reciprocity. A law that states we always get back what we give out. This may not be the highest motive for appealing to others that they should be Christ-like, but it is a motive based on fact. Dishonesty begets dishonesty. Stealing begets stealing. Criticism begets criticism. Welfare begets welfare. Yet the bright side of this law is that the opposite is also true. Truth begets truth, faithfulness begets faithfulness, and love begets love. The fact remains that our criticism not only causes others to be critical toward us, but we are also hurt from two other sources, ourselves and God. So will you be judged? And in accordance with your standard of measure, judgment will be measured to you. This is simply a statement of such verses as Galatians 6-7 where it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. He will not allow himself to be ridiculed nor treated with contempt, nor allow his precepts to be scornfully set aside. For whatever man sows, this is also what he will reap. And then Matthew twenty six fifty two, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place. For all those who habitually draw the sword will die by the sword. We all know that criticism holding a grudge, hatred, and attitudes like this are destructive to a person's mind and body. Criticism reveals five things about us. Our sins, our jealousies, our ignorance, our inability to deal with our own problems, and our lovelessness. So each time we judge another, we are saying to all who have ears to hear, this is the type of person the type of unloving person that I am. That's what we're saying. Paul addressed himself to this same problem in Romans 2, 1-3. He said, and he's talking about the impartiality of God here, Therefore you have no excuses or justification. Every one of you who critically judges, hypocritically judges and condemns others, For in passing judgment on another person you condemn yourself, because you who judge from a position of arrogance or self-righteousness are habitually practicing the very same things which you denounce. And we know that the judgment of God falls justly and in accordance with truth on those who practice such things. Now verse 3, But do you think this, O man, when you judge and condemn those who practice such things, and yet do the same yourself, that you will escape God's judgment and elude his verdict? There's four reasons why we receive God's judgment when we're critical towards others. The first is criticism hinders God's work. The second is it assumes God's office as judge. Third, it destroys what God has given, character and influence. And fourth, it shows contempt towards the grace of God, which is extended to those who we would destroy by our criticism. And there's a perplexity here. In Matthew 7, 3 through to 4, Jesus said that the sin of criticism creates a real perplexity. Jesus used a bit of humour to paint the picture of a man with a log in his eye trying to pick out a splinter from another man's eye. That's perplexing. Not one of us is without sin. Not one of us. Not one of us is without sin. We are Not one of us is free of glaring defects in our own life. Je- what Jesus was saying was, look at the ridiculous role you're playing. Look at a glaring flaw in your own life that everyone else can see. You nitpick at the small problems in the lives of others. If there's anything that Jesus does not want his followers to be, it's hypocrites. Jesus set the example of this matter. When he saw Zacchaeus, he wanted to help him. This man had been cheating and defrauding the public for years. Jesus could have said, I know who you are, Zacchaeus. You're one of those terrible tax collectors. You've earned the bad reputation that is yours. Come down out of that tree, fall on your knees before me and confess your sins publicly. If you get your life straightened out, you might be good enough to come and join my followers. Instead of standing in judgment of this fallen man, though, Jesus established a relationship of love by the tone of his voice and the actions that followed. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I love you very much. In the light of God's love, Zacchaeus became keenly aware of the fault in his life. And then there's a proposal, isn't there? In verse 5, Jesus made a proposal. We have our hands full in correcting the problems in our own lives without being critical in our judgment toward others. We could spend our time quite constructively if we concentrate on our own faults, leaving the faults of others to the goodness and the grace of God. Jesus' proposal, however, is difficult to carry out, isn't it? We naturally find ourselves asking how we can execute this proposal and what we can do about the temptation to criticise others. First of all, we need to recognise being critical of others as a sin. It is a sin, just as stealing or lying or immorality is a sin. In God's eyes, being critical and hurtful towards others is a serious sin. And second, we should confess our tendency to judge as a sin. Only through the confession will we ever rid ourselves of the deadly sin of criticism. And third, we just must quit doing it. It is not enough to own up to the sin and ask God to forgive us. We must claim the grace of God that will enable us to quit being critical. Three good filters through which we should pass every word that comes from our mouths of this. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? As we go about doing God's business, as opposed to the business of God as some churches do, we are to see the good in people and by the grace of God bring it to the surface Too many people are willing to throw others aside just as human rejects. May God grant that we become people who realize the value in each and every person. May God save us from the ranks of those who stand idly by and point out the flaws and the faults in others. And as I do every week, I want to encourage you to be diligent with your Bible study time because God has so much more for us than we can get from just going to church once or twice a week and hearing someone else talk about the Word. When you spend time with God, your life will change in amazing ways because God is a Redeemer. There's nothing that's too hard for Him. He can make you whole, spirit, soul, and body. And you're important to God. But you're also important to us at the Refinery. So when it comes to prayer, we believe that God wants to meet your needs and reveal His promises directly to you. So whatever you're concerned about, and whatever you need prayer for, we want to be here for you. Even if you just want to say hi, you can contact us on www.refinerylife. Or via any of our social media channels. And until next time, stay in the blessings.